Good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats him. Hello everyone at home, welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle. Uh, my name is Eamon Brown, I'll be your host this evening. We have no set agenda, um, other than me in my car, in the car park, drinking some wine on a Friday night. Uh, and of course, I'm joined by the Dark Prince of Brookvale, Media Watcher Mario. Hello sir. Oh, lovely to be with you. I'm not sure all of yeah. that, that stuff we just talked about needs to go onto the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, look, I mean, obviously you have the ultimate veto power, mate, so if you just want me to do a series of blanks and beeps. The last time that, the last time that I tried to veto a joke you made, apparently it was not vetoed, so uh, I'm not sure that I have ultimate anything, if we're being honest. Mate, I think if you're referring to the joke at the end of the, uh, the live pod we did, I think you'll find that the old punchline didn't go to air, so... Uh, I found well, a happy compromise that, there. Now I get it. People were just guessing, and certain people guessed correctly. Apparently, <laughs> it, it, it's almost as though they know us, Mario. <laughs> Maybe that's fair. If you got to fill in the blank, it wasn't exactly a very challenging blank for people to fill in. I mean, um, if if they've been that, following along, if we assume that we've only got about ten listeners, I know about seven personally. So that means that <laughs> the base is just a group of my friends and. You know, the entire East fan base. I'm actually quite impressed because I assumed after that, you know, nine-year break that we took and then when we resumed right after the grand final, um, you know, great timing. Trying to catch that wave of people who just get into the NRL competition when it ends. Um, I assumed that there'd be a huge drop-off. Um, but, you know, there is about 200 to 250 hardheads that listen to this stuff. I don't know why. Absolutely, uh, but I feel I know I feel drawn. I feel almost responsible, Mario, to um to come back and give them more drivel. Well, I, I guess that's only fair. That I actually, you know, managed to trick a guy into starting to listen to our podcast, and I wasn't sure he was going to, but he did because I was I was running a Dungeons and Dragons session the other day, and I I dropped a. a a line that I'd used in the pod. Don't remember what it was now. And he said, oh, you already said that in the podcast the other day. I'm like, oh, my God, you listen. So not only is the person listening, but they've listened so attentively that they've actually remembered a quote of yours. Or he's just, you know, a lot smarter than me and actually remembers things. That's possible too. Do you trust people that have photographic memories? I know I have sort of an innate distrust of people who are smarter than me. So I don't trust many people in my life, as you could imagine. And I think if those people that, can recall things to an exact detail. Then, you know, and they go, oh, you know, in 1998, June the 4th, it was a sunny day and I had a really nice wank. Like, I, I don't want to be near those people. I don't trust them. I don't like it. My first overseas trip was to New Zealand when I was five and my whole family were going and my little sister was two and I, I mentioned something to her about the plane flight when I was probably about 25. So she was sitting on 22 at this stage. And I said how I didn't remember anything from the flight except enjoy, except being amazed that I got to eat ice cream. And then she started just rattling off all these details of things that had happened. And I was like, 
what a load of bullshit. You were two years old. You don't remember a thing. And so she rings up mum and says, hey, mum, do you remember blah, 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 blah? And mum goes, oh, my God, how do you remember that? And, yeah, apparently she nailed it. Is there a chance that she's just studied the photo albums intensely after the fact? Well, this was like 1985. We, I believe on average you'd take about, you know, seven photos a year back in those days. Everything else was on slides. <laughs> You're not doing anything to dent your reputation, Mario, Pete, from the Move black Mario. and white era when, you, when, you, <laughs> when you're referencing slides. I mean, people, there are people listening, believe it or not, who would be in the sort of Gen Z category who would be going, what the fuck's a Polaroid? You know, what's Kodak? And here you are bringing out fucking slides. Amazing. I'm sure I don't have any of them anymore, but I do remember having slight <laughs> nights when we were kids because it was better than watching the, the like, nine-inch black and white TV we had. That was amazing. Were you wearing a tin can over your head because the Cold War was at its height? Well, we did live in this little tiny caravan and there was five of us, so it probably felt like we were in the Cold War. <laughs> Oh, my God. You're like an Outback Australian rustic version of the Partridge family. You're all just travelling around in a small tin can in the Outback for no particular reason. Oh, it didn't have wheels. Were you the? Here's the big question. Were you the Danny Bonaducci of that family? I definitely never had red hair, so I'm going to say no. You know, it's World Cup time, Mario. I suppose we should talk about some sport occasionally. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really here to drink and just chat, really, but... um. Uh, you know, my busy schedule has precluded me from seeing every game. Um, I've actually enjoyed the matches that I've watched. I've only watched two, I must confess, Australia, Fiji, uh, and Tonga, PNG. Uh, and, and, and the Tonga, PNG was highlights. So that's kind of where I'm at with the World Cup. And it's not for uh, want of wanting to watch the tournament, by the way. Um, it's just literally been, I'll, ca- I'll binge that when I get a chance. So this podcast comes ahead of the weekend. I was planning to binge everything and get myself back to date, but it hasn't worked out that way. But, you know, I thought, this is TVT. They don't need us to watch the games. They don't come here for that. Besides, you can tell me all about them now, I reckon. Well, I would say out of all the games, I didn't, I didn't see the England-Samoa game, and in hindsight, probably for the best. That was what it depressed me. Uh, my favourite one was Cook Island versus Wales. My my mm. son, my son, he he woke, I, he woke up at you know five thirty or whatever it was to see that I was watching rugby league. So he he jumps into the bed because I was watching it on my phone. He jumps in and watches it with me. And my wife's running around, you know, getting their getting their kids ready for school and everything, and yelling at us. And I'm like, it's ten past seven. I'm like, it's fine. He'll be ready in time. Don't worry. And yeah, we got we, we got to school in time, only just, but it was we got there and he got to watch the game. It was quite exciting. Yeah, Cook Cook Island won eighteen twelve. It was it, right. it was a bit of a like it was a bit of a tight game. It never it never blew out because there was never a, a gap of more than six points. So it was, but it to me it always especially with the if you listen to the commentators in the second half, they spent the whole time going on about how Wales were the better team, and I'm like, what were they watching? I thought well, I thought it was even, but I thought Cook mm. Islands being a little bit better in the first half. In the second half, it was clear as crystal that it always looked like Cook Islands were going to run them down. They had a, you know, they, they've got a few weaknesses in the team, but they've got some good players in there too. It, without the the sort of silly finish that you had from the PNG game, where that Epapi um, guy was, you know, man of the match, but then cannonballs a guy and then kicks a kickoff out on the full within about a three-minute period. So 
he get, gets awarded man of the match and then does that. It wasn't really the great finish. I feel like they should no, be man of the match before a full-time siren is blown. No, you, you've got to wait the 80 minutes just to make sure a play doesn't commit a blatant act of Blake Ferguson and just have several brain snaps simultaneously. Um, when you say that the commentary team uh, was sort of leaning with Wales the whole time, I can actually field that one um, because this tournament, as people at home would probably know, it's been, um, it's been filmed. It's not been filmed. It's taking place in England. Uh, which is a lot of white people there. And the commentary teams tend to be occupied by white people as well. So I found when I've watched these games, they tend to barrack for the white team and um, just assume that the white team will win. They don't quite like understand a team full of darkies uh, from the Pacific coming in and trying to hijack their game. So that's what's happening there. They're not really looking at the performance as such. And um, But I, I wanted to know, before the game, were the Cook Islands favourite or was it Wales? Can you remember? I don't remember. Off the top of my head, I feel like Cook Islands were favourite, but it was su- it was close. I don't. I remember looking mm. at the game, thinking it was probably the the one that could go either way. But the game that shocked me, of course, was Italy, uh, not just beating but flogging Scotland because Scotland were, I think, about a dollar sixty favourites or dollar fifty favourites in that game. Yeah, it's interesting. I was even looking at the next round of the the tournament. I've noticed Scotland are about to take on Australia. I don't think I've ever seen a head to head. A dividend of eighty-one to one before, but that's what the Scots are playing. Uh, the Scots are paying against Australia, and I just thought, you know, I've got a feeling in my waters that maybe there's an upset there. So I, I did go ahead and put life savings on Scotland, and, and I'm and I'm really just hoping uh, that Munster has rediscovered cocaine again, because if that's happened, I could be in the sweet, sweet money. If Munster's rediscovered cocaine, he might just go out there and score seven tries because no one will be able to catch him. Well, you can go either way, can't it? I, I agree with you, Murray. I think when um, you're hitting Munster in his early cocaine phases, uh, you know, when he's just on it and everything's euphoric and he's happy and he's faster than normal, then that's great for Munster and it's great if you're supporting his team. But as it lags on and he starts to become that sort of paranoid, overly aggressive cocaine addict, uh, he gives away penalties. I'd just like to throw in a disclaimer. On behalf of the Voluntary Tackle, we are a purely a parody podcast and in no way insinuating that Cameron Munster has ever partaken in any illegal drugs of any sort. Continue. Uh, that's okay. I mean, thanks for the disclaimer, but I'm, I'm just going to double down here and oh, say God. definitely better coke addicts. Um, in fact, there are times when he's run out on the field and he's had it in his fucking moustache still. You know, he's got powdered fucking white stuff all over. So unless he's, you know, hoeing into some kind of delicious baked good, which is, uh, you know, like a dusted almond croissant or something, which is highly unlikely. I think he's, you know, he's been he's doing it three or four lines before he's gone out there. Um, How do you know, you know that his dad's not a cop and he's just getting in the icing sugar from the donuts? Look, it's possible, Mario, but I think if you, you know, you have a look, take an overview, look at Munster's erratic behaviour. Uh, look at the fact that, you know, at one time during a game, he tried to stab Joey Manu through the face of the pool cue. That's not the actions of a regular NRL player. Uh, but it has to be down to cocaine abuse, I'm sure. I'm going to stick with my disclaimer <laughs> and say I'm sure Cameron Munster is a lovely young fellow who would never, who who would never, you know, listen to our podcast and not like it matters. Yeah, well, I tell you what, yeah, for for poor performance enhancing reasons, as you said, it, it, it's a bit of a diminishing return when it comes to coke. Um, you know, I know that because you know, for four or five years, I was in an office job um, hitting the old coke and. Geez, I could whip up the stories early, but um, you know, as my career went on, I became just blatantly aggressive, and and you know, no one wanted to be around me. 
So I know what it's like before old Cameron, but the, I think what we need to do in these situations when someone's hooked on a stimulant like Coke um, is to say, look, you've got a problem, that's fine. Um, but, you know, for performance reasons, we need you to take a severe downer as well. So, you know, take some, take some, I don't know, some heroin, you know, have that at the same time, just to level you out. And I think when he goes out there, um, you know, maybe you can do it each half. You can go out and go cocaine first half and then a heroin monster in the second half and then everyone's sort of hunky-dory. I think, I, I think I'd be happy with that. I mean, I'd like to suggest maybe not going quite to heroin yet. You might want to start him off and just a bit of Valium or something before you go on to the really heavy stuff. But, you know, mm. I suppose, how about you have it? How about you have a team of everyone in heroin and I'll have a team of everyone just on, you know, say, you know, 10 milligrams of Valium, something light, and, and we'll see who wins. I think I've seen that. Um, I think I saw Drew Hutchison's entire family play each other once, and it definitely looked a lot like that. Oh, I, thought sort of the human... of, I thought that was every game of rugby union. Where is Xander, by the way? We haven't mentioned him at all. And the reason, guys, we haven't mentioned him is because he hasn't turned up. Xander has a very busy lifestyle, you know. He sort of, um, how would you describe it, Murray? I think when I think about Xander's lifestyle, I sort of assume that he sort of lives the life of a rich Italian sea captain, you know, sort of always traveling the world, dressed to the nines. You never see a hair out of place. He seems very tanned and very fit, you know, before you know it, he's crashed the Costa Concordia into a rock whilst he's fucking a chick in the bridge and he's doing 10 to 15 years in prison. That's the way I see Xander Rosado's life as a person. What about you? I see him as the Arnold Schwarzenegger character in the movie True Lies. So, you know, he's an international man of mystery, jet sets all around the place, romancing the girls, but probably taking his wife with him all all the way while I so he's only really pretending to romance the ladies just you know just to just to achieve the the mission goals whatever they might be and you know blow up a, a few a few rooms a few bad guys at, at the same time yeah he's probably is a spy I, I gotta tell you James Bond would be it wouldn't be the same film would it if he was you know flirting and convorting with all of these amazing looking women but it was all strictly platonic and he never had sex with any of them. I think that would take away from the franchise for me if he never got his dick wet. I think it would. I think what we really need is for James Bond to go full R-rated and just you know, maybe just double down on all the on all the dick wet stuff. I like that. Just put M over the table and fuck her. Fuck Judy Dench up the ass for a little bit. I'll tell you what, that would be one way to end the franchise. God, who would ever want to play James Bond if they had to do that? <laughs> no, it'll be more like a like a really X-rated um, sort of adult diaper commercial, wouldn't it? Like now I'm free again, like because he'd be too. I'm assuming if you're a, a Bond character willing to do that to Judy Dench, you, you've obviously of advancing age yourself. I don't see a young man so. doing that. Dig up the corpse of Sean Connery or something like that. He can beat her up a few times before he does that because you know. He, he was a big fan of that. Do you think uh, if they ever did exhume the corpse of Sean Connery that um, even as a skeleton he'd be grumpy? Well, I think he'd certainly have a – imagine his voice but through with no lips and skin. Imagine his voice but John Farnham. Oh, no. Back, Damon. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, mate. You, you led me down there. I thought you were teeing me up. I'm not here for any John Farnham slander, not at any time. That man is the voice, and you better understand it. All right, mate, I will, but I'm just saying his latest album, Super Whispering Jack. <laughs> <laughs>
it's going to go great guns. No, look, you mentioned before True Lies. I, I had something. This is not rugby league related again. So spool forward, everyone listening at home. Um, but I, I noticed there was a, a preview for, it must have been Halloween 48. Like they've made so many of them now. But Jamie Lee Curtis, God bless her, who was in True Lies, uh, is also in, I think, all of these films. And I don't know if you're a fan, Mario, but, you know, I'm a bit of a devotee. Um, you know, I've been tracking it for a while. And unfortunately, what I've noticed with the latest one is, because Mike Myers, for anyone playing at home, is the bad guy and everyone runs away from him and he's a, it's a full slasher film. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is always the sort of matriarch leading, you know, the, the innocent people away from the, this violent murderer. But over the years, uh, because Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, like time has not been kind to her, I would say. She hasn't aged particularly well. And I've noticed in this preview of the last film that she's actually looking so haggard that Mike Myers is running away from her, uh, which is a real twist in the film. Now, she's become sort of the goblin-esque character and Mike Myers is scared shitless of this sort of essentially this old witch. And I thought, yeah, that is a twist I didn't see coming. That, that could be the, that could then be copied as the plot for the next Alien movie. You know, the Alien comes along and Sigourney Weaver's actually chasing it. Although, you know what I'll say about Sigourney? She's still got it. I still okay. go there with Sigourney, personally. Right. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, Fish Called Wanda was a long time ago now. I, I tell you, in True Lies, she was hot, like yeah, really hot. Cool. Yeah, she, she was, I think, in her peak, if I'm going to be honest. I think she, you know, some people aren't as hot in their youth. I don't know if you've ever seen a young photo of George Clooney or not, but like that guy, before his hair went grey, he was fucking no one. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure back in his ER days he was fucking people. I don't think his his hair was great yet, was it? I uh, I can't say I hung in for too much ER with George Clooney. No. Was his hair not grey then? I don't know. I, I've never watched the show, but I, I feel like I remember, you know, ads for the show back when, God help us, we used to watch commercials on commercial TV. And I feel like I remember him being, you know, normal grey, uh, normal dark hair, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 audibly laughing at just how off track we are from the one foot game of rugby league. But in my head, I need to get to the bottom of that one. Did Clooney have grey hair in his ER days? Um, I won't rest. The way we until could I find, find that out. out. If only there was some sort of a search engine on, you know, some sort of a worldwide <laughs> data collection. I, oh, what a what a! I, I should invent that. You should. Though. There's certainly a gap in the market for um. Search engines that specifically search out whether or not Clooney had grey hair and when. Um, the, I, the other day, anyway, I was really annoyed they gave Cam Munster the man of the match. He was he played well, but Harry was very, very clearly the best player on the field. I don't care how many minutes he played; he absolutely bossed it every minute he was on on the field. He was so comfortably the best on on the ground, no question. Yeah, look, I completely agree with you. In fact, the first text. Um, I, I've slung uh, Xander's way uh, right after the game because I watched it on slight delay. Was oh my god! Like how did they not give it to Harry Grant? Uh, there, there's an unusual um, sort of mentality, isn't there, when awarding man of the matches? That you know these minutes. I think they place way too much weight on the minutes. Um, to me, it should be who influenced the game the most. But that's to me the, the central calculus you're asking yourself. And Munster was very good. But the, the sheer impact that Harry Grant had when he came on uh, was so immense. I mean, he, I think it's from I think from the very first pickup, he uh, 
made something like 10 to 15 metres, got us going forward, scored a solo, set up a couple, kicked a 40-20. Um, he's an amazing defender. Like, he really did just the, – the kangaroos were actually struggling a little bit for cohesion before he came on. Yeah, they were. The game, the, um, we, were, we never looked like not winning the game, but Fiji were at least still in the game when Harry came on. And almost straight away, as you said, they were not in the game anymore. It was just over. He just he just walked in and suddenly there was, you know, absolutely all the ball was going our way. Everything went our way. It was, yeah, clear as crystal. I just love how uh, direct Harry Grant plays because he's got this very sort of robust uh, frame. Um, he's so durable, but he's also got this an immense skill level. So it's a great combination. But so he can afford to actually pick up that ball and run pretty sharpish uh, straight into the defensive line. And you will, I don't know, when he, when he drifts across, you just see that old, you know, I know you're in the room, Mario, so I'll say, you know, the old Cliffy Lines effect where people just seem to stare at him. Um, and he's just got that about him because he can either, he can run, he can kick, he can pass. He's got that football brain so he's actually waiting for the defense to make a mistake as well so his brain's ticking over as seemingly as quickly as a Cameron Smith would and I'm like that's an, an amazing combination of things to happen and you know when you talk let's go back I know it's already happened but the state of origin series for me people have asked for, his name never came up in the conversation about who was man of the match of the series but to me it was super clear that it was Harry Grant because in every single match he came on and turned it and that is a really difficult thing to do. I don't think he started any game from memory, but I remember him as a, a, a very passionate Blues fan being terrified, going, I hope that they just don't, Billy Slater doesn't bring him on anytime soon because he comes on and he absolutely turns the match. And he did that for the Kangaroos for sure as well. I think you are underselling the true hero of State of Origin. The person who had the most influence on that series result was clearly Brad Fittler. <laughs> I knew you'd go quick to some Freddie bashing. Um, I'm sure he look, was in the room. Hey, I've, I met Freddie this year. I, uh, and the guy, the guy, it put him on the field. He still got it. The guy still got it. He, he carved up the 13 year olds he was playing against. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, anyway, um, Harry, to me, Harry is almost like the perfect uh, combination of Cam Smith. And Brandon Smith, yeah, he's got that sort yeah, of okay. nuggety bulldog sort of thing that Brandon Smith's going on, but he's also got this skill level of being able to slow the game down and, and read in an instant what's happening. And Munster has that has that part of the game too. I've, I've thought for a long time that Munster was probably the most naturally talented player in the game, simply because anything happens and he can just read it seemingly instantly. Like we're watching on TV with the better superior camera angle and we can say oh look at that gap and then before it's out of my mouth the guy's kicked it there or thrown this cutout ball or whatever or run into a gap that you know he's seen before we could and we were even on you know had the the beneficial angle of a tv camera working in our favor so i've always thought that about cam munster just that he's an absolute loose unit harry grant doesn't have that weakness so he's you know he's not an absolute cunt like cam smith was he's you know, he, he's probably not quite as good at busting tackles and stuff as Brandon Smith, but I think he's got a lot more to his game. And you can you can see why the Storm had to choose to, between um, Smith and Grants. I, I think they've chosen the right way. No offence to you guys, and I think the Roosters will do very well with Brandon Smith. I've, I have picked you guys to make the grand final next, next year against South. So 
you know, obviously I think it's going to work, but yeah, I still think Harry Grant is possibly the num- number one player in the game moving forward. He'll never get acknowledged as such because the media just love Nathan Cleary too much. I think what makes, uh, you know, the likes of Cameron Munster and Harry Grant so dangerous is, is the fact that they can both play off script so well as well, which is probably a criticism some people might have of Nathan Cleary as, as much as, you know, if you were to catalogue his attributes, you'd say, oh my God, he's like a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10. Um, you know, he doesn't have many weaknesses to his game, Nathan. But, you know, if you were to make a criticism, if you were forced, it might be that when, uh, you know, some additional creativity is required, you know, he's just not equipped for that. And he still goes back to the training manual. And, you know, when you're talking about creative players, the guys that, you know, the team hinges on creating stuff in, in clutch moments, um, it is important to have a player that can read the room and I think it's obviously a testament to why Melbourne have been so successful because they keep sort of creating players that can do that. But it's typified by Cameron Munster in particular. I'd probably say he's the number one player in the game at that particular um, attribute that, that can sort of, um, yeah, play completely off the top of his head, but seemingly off the top of his head, by the way. But it's not just an erratic brain doing, you know, whatever he wants to do. He's, a, he's just great at reading it. And Harry Grant certainly has the same thing. And, and he's much earlier in his career. We don't even know how far Harry's going to go in terms of, you know, reaching that form guide. So oh, he's a very, very exciting player to watch. I just hate it when my team's playing him, though, because, you know, he tends to tear them a new asshole, <laughs> no matter if it's the Roosters or the Blues. It's it actually a little bit scary to see what he might do to Scotland, Mario. They were rather disappointing. You know, people expected them to not be on the level of the big six or seven teams, but maybe to be that next step down. And it turns out they're a step below that. Um, so what they're going to do against Australia with Cleary, you know, wanting to make sure he can get that spot over over DCE, which, you know, he maybe deserves, but maybe he doesn't. We'll see. I guess we'll, we'll find out. If Cleary can't absolutely destroy this particular, you know, against that team, then maybe he doesn't deserve it. But it'll be very interesting to find out. Look, let's get to that um, Cleary versus DCE for the number seven in a second. Um, but I did want to chat to you about Samoa because we did a little bit of a World Cup preview show and all three of us were quite supportive of the fact that Samoa are essentially fielding a what looks to be a, a first-grade NRL side. It looked very classy, a lot of Penrith players. Um, probably in, on paper, I would imagine, the best Samoan team that I've seen. I saw the coach interviewed, for the, the Samoan coach interviewed after the game, and he did look very forlorn, Mario. He was uh, not a happy man. I mean, you're not happy after you get beaten by 50-odd points, but um, he did look like a man that had no answers and thought he was a genuine shot in that game, and he wasn't expecting to be, you know, absolutely arse-spanked. Well, the thing is... There, there was this huge thing, I guess it, it only feels like yesterday, but maybe it was even pre-COVID, but where Matt Parrish and the Samoan team had this huge falling out and it looked like you know they weren't even going to be able to field a team because of all these problems between the coach and the, and the people in charge. And yet somehow he's stayed in, in command of it all this time and showing signs that maybe he's just not up to any sort of standard you know he's he, he's so bad he probably should be signed to coach manly 
Mm. Where, where, what is his coaching pedigree? I don't know much about Matt Parrish. He's been an assistant coach at a few clubs, hasn't he? I think that's about all of it. He's been the Samoan coach for, for quite a long time now, it feels like. I'd be interested to see if, if Samoa can bounce back because they, they actually have entered the tournament with a fair bit of expectation. And they're, they're not playing mugs. I mean, England are in with a shot uh, of winning the comp, so it's not like they're playing a minnow, but I don't think anyone, and I don't think England expected to, you know, see a margin like that racked up. So um, it'd be interesting to find out when the form line starts to get more fully formed as we go through the tournament, whether or not it's a case of England actually been rather good this year. Um, obviously, you've got the great Victor Radley playing there, mate. Uh, that that classic Pommy Git um, <laughs> playing for England, which I still can't quite get my head around. Uh, well, I'm still calling it the great defection because... Uh, you know, he's, he's grown up around my neighbourhood, Murray. You may not know that or not, but he's a, a kid from Bronte, very, very Australian, is almost quintessentially Australian from the beach. And yet he said he felt something in his chest, they kept saying. I thought, well, maybe that's a heart arrhythmia. You know, you should get it checked out. But no, he insisted that that thing in his chest was, uh, you know, an ambition to play for England because he's, he's um, I think it was he's an old man, was it? It was English. And, grandparents. Yeah, well, the strange thing is, right, and I don't know, if, I'm, I'm putting on the tinfoil hat here, and I don't know whether or not he's dirty at the fact that he hasn't made more Origins, but, you know, being a Roosters fan and following his career pretty closely, he would have definitely made Origins had he not been injured virtually every single time um, or recovering from injury, which meant he hadn't racked up the form yet to actually get himself selected. If he... Uh, remained injury free in the entire run into Origin. I think he has a, always a huge chance of making that sky blue. And I think at one point he made the the squad, um, but he'd only just come back from a concussion or something because he's always concussed. So I hope that's not the reason because he would have been definitely. I mean, to me, he's a tailor made Blues player. I think he would have performed really well there uh, because they've got less rules in that particular version of the game, and that would really suit someone like Bradley. And a huge chance then of obviously playing for the green and gold as well once you've represented your state. But, you know, he's decided to abandon all that and play for England. So I hope for his sake, personally, that, you know, it pays off for him and he gets to see some success. From all accounts, he played really, really well um, in that first match. But um, part of me is just still, still mourning for the fact he won't ever play for the Blues. You're giving him a lot of credit. I would say he was not getting picked for Australia. So he's like, oh, who else do I qualify for? Cool, I'll go get a test jersey and make some money and play in a World Cup. And you never know, he might even win. Look, I know that's a, I've, I've heard plenty of people put that forward. But, I mean, honestly, the guy spent so much time in the last three years either injured or suspended. I mean, what kind of form can you start to generate to get selected for any rep team when you're not on the field? I do agree with that. I just think in the end, he's made a last-minute decision. I'm sure he mm. always wanted to play for Australia and play for the Blues, but here's the opportunity. There was a gap in, in the English team where he could walk into it, and they've still got a reasonable squad, so why not? Well, the why not is, doesn't it mean it's a door you don't walk back through, Mario? You can't it just does. That, that's right. But it's a big why not. It is. It's certainly a big why not. I was actually saying that, saying to my son, you know, he was talking about when he was watching the game, he said, Daddy, would I play for Australia? And I said, I would hope so. But, you know, technically you could play for New Zealand or Scotland as well if you wanted to. Do I just keep making this up, Mario? Do you not have Italian heritage? It's a, my, it's a generation back from my dad. 
Okay, fair enough. I'm glad so my, I'm not completely making it up. No, so my my dad, I could I could have played for Italy. My son can't. Now uh, we've just resumed another Zoom session, Mario. And right before we were going, you were about to talk about John Farnham's "You're the Voice Box" tour. No, I thought we were past that. No, I'm afraid I've lingered on it. Uh, I've got, I feel like I've got nine or ten more really out of taste gags to go, but I will pepper them sporadically throughout the remainder of the podcast so you don't get overwhelmed. You know, and I think thought, that I just hate John Farnham, which I don't. I saw John Farnham just shy of seven years ago, and and it was the first time since 1988 that I'd seen him live, and he was absolutely incredible. He blew me away. I went there expecting him to suck because he was like a thousand years old, and he was amazing. You know, maybe it's a tender mercy for the Australian public if he never sings again. Who knows? Depends on your take. Um, now, look, before we get back to rugby league, I did want to also quiz you, Mario, um, on your. Scottish heritage. Now, you said that potentially if you were really great at the game of rugby league, and you probably would have been if you pursued it, but you didn't. You went down other routes. And uh, But I did want to know, what, what does that um, lineage look like? Because I, didn't, I wouldn't have taken you for a Scot. My dad, so my, my dad's parents um, left Italy, you know, not super long before World War II broke out. And he would... I think, you know, maybe the writing was on the wall with what was happening in, in Germany and stuff at the time. And yeah, so you, was, you were deserters. Your family were a pack of deserters. Go on. Sure. And he was born, was it three days before or three days after World War II was declared? And so he was, but, you know, they'd moved to Scotland and put him, put this poor little tiny kid in the, you know, the tenements of Glasgow where you can imagine anyone from Italy was not well received, given that, you know, as a small child, they were literally at war with that country. And it's a tough gig going from when you're a young kid, going from school to school, if it's a few suburbs away. But if you're, you're going from one side of the belligerents in World War II to the other, um, that's got to make it extra tough. My dad was always a, a tough little bugger. I think he was about five foot flat. You know, been been dead for a long time, but I remember him being particularly short. <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. Never in a way that ever made anyone think they could get anything over him because he was a fight first, ask questions later sort of guy. Well, I see those tropes in yourself, Mario, on this podcast. To be completely honest. Yeah, but I I, I let I let my words do the fighting for me. I my, my fists generally stay you know firmly unclenched. Mm. Do you still name your fists Captain and Tennille? I love that. Uh, my my fists these days are actually named um, Torval and Dean. They're, they're, <laughs> they're a pair of dancers, not you know, not fighters, but so. I love it. No, excellent. Anyway, look, we got to the bottom of that. I thought that was fascinating, and it's a good segue, I guess, to talk about the Scots. Now, you've already mentioned the fact that they um, they didn't play very well, and I've mentioned the fact that they're eighty-one to one against Australia. I don't know, Mario, it occurs to me that, um, you know, when it comes to the first grade of the top tier teams playing these minnows, that, you know, for the sake of the audience, maybe they should look at trying to create a handicap system. So I'm just going to throw this at you. You can tell me it's a shit idea or a great idea, whatever. Um, but the next time Scotland run out, which is this weekend against the Kangaroos, should they or should they not be armed with haggis? And if they should, would a haggis actually be an advantage or a disadvantage? I think what they should do is maybe go the Braveheart option, you know, run out in kilts and flash their junk. But then it turns out their junk, 
that the the, the rear half of their junk region has actually got a haggis shoved up there. And if Australia can play well while facing that down, then that then Cleary will deserve his starting spot. Okay, just so I can get to the bottom of your suggestion. The bottom. So no you point. want the Scottish team to essentially run out there with kilts, but lift it up so everyone can see the junk. And for whatever reason, you also think that it might be an advantage to have a sheep stomach full of herbs boiled, shoved up the anus of each player. So I, I think that would be a disadvantage. That sounds uncomfortable to me. Look, from everything I know about the Scot, the Scottish people, and I've been there before, and you know, as we've just established, it technically I'm part that way myself. Um, mm. They're they're an unhinged bunch, and I think that's probably right up their alley or right up their something anyway. Quite literally, yeah. I mean, do you celebrate your Scottish heritage throughout the year in any way? Do you do you I don't know every second of July? Do you ever dress up as Mel Gibson's a historical version of William Wallace? Um. No, if I'm honest, I don't really think about any Scottishness in me at all. My dad was there wasn't much Scottish about him except his accents. He he had and I never thought he had an accent growing up, but then I recently watched a video of my brother's 21st and mm. my dad's voice I hadn't heard in years and I'm like, "What the fuck? He had a Scottish accent." Like I genuinely yeah. never knew he had one. I or he just sounded Apart from the way he said garage, that was about the only thing I ever noticed about him having an accent. <laughs> well, it's a hard accent to shake too, the Scottish one. You know, I talk, I think about this a lot. There's a there's a war going on with accents and poor old Australia is well at the bottom. And by war, I mean, if you were born with an accent, say you were, you know, you spent the first 12 years of your life in a certain country and then you emigrate or go and live somewhere else for a, a long period of time. Um, there are some accents that tend to endure and some that just get completely corroded straight away. And the Australian accent is that. I don't know if you've ever seen virtually any expatriate um, of, of any fame go to another country. They tend to lose their Australian accent by the time they land on the tarmac um, or in a transit lounge. It's crazy. But there are others like, you know, my mum's English. And to this day, she, you know, she left England when she was 14 and she's still in her 70s, sounds like a Londoner because the Australian accent just hasn't got that same, um, you know, it can't leach into the vocal cords the same way the others do. It's fascinating to me. Now, I see it as Australians are just much more intelligent than everybody else. And so when we go to other countries, we can just imitate their accents so flawlessly and integrate ourselves into their, their language structures so perfectly that people will just very soon forget that we're Australian because they just can't even hear it anymore. So, you know, I lived in I lived in London for a while and I was based, you know, I lived in East London, so I was basically a Cockney within a couple of months. Yeah, and, and but you know what? You seem to have dropped the Cockney accent since you've been back. So you managed to jettison it just as quickly as you picked it up. Oh, yeah. Once I didn't have to try and fit in amongst the, um, the toothless, brain-dead, scum that I lived around, I very quickly readapted to sounding like I was from the Northern Beaches with all the, the lovely, classy, intelligent people. Or oh, where all the other toothless, brain-dead scum live, uh, some might argue. Look, that's an interesting segue because I did want to talk about Manly. You may not want to, Mario, given what's going on there, but I'm sorry about this. You brought it up. Um, I noticed today a news story uh, 
Bob Fulton's daughter has been sacked. It seems like Manly uh, are so sack happy at the moment that they're now just sacking the relatives of famous Manly people. Uh, obviously, you can't sack Bob Fulton, God rest his soul, because he's you know six feet under. But they're they're just going to sack the family now. Is this part of this family rift? It seems very Game of Thrones to me. Um, this is actually a very positive move, and it's one of the rare good things that I think Manly have done in the last few weeks. I was very curious, mind you, that she was sacked with immediate notice, which suggests there is something a bit more to it, even than just the whole factional crap that has been going down in Manly for a while now. Uh, that a, part, a large part of what was happening with Des, the rumours suggested, was Fulton's versus Hasler. And the fact that they've sacked Des and then sacked Christy Fulton suggests that, okay, well, maybe they are clearing the decks of a lot of this factional bullshit and saying, we're not going to put up with it from either side. So if freaking Zorba can just be never allowed back in the club again, then we'll get rid of our leak and maybe things will actually start going well. Because he's very, very well known to be the leak that goes to bloody Dean Ritchie constantly. Yeah, I tell you what, that's a, it's a very porous club, Manly. It seems not just Dean Ritchie, it seems like every journo gets a heads up when anything happens um, at Manly. Same with the Tigers. The poor old Tigers must have several leaks there as well because um, they seem to know things before Tim Sheens does, which is <laughs> just unfortunate. But I want to know more about Christy Fulton, though. Why? Uh, what was she doing? Why was she sacked? And why do you think, if this is a good thing, clearing the decks of bias and all those kind of things, surely one team, one faction has claimed a scalp there. Like, this isn't just trying to scout someone for a, a, a quality, right? Like, I'm assuming this is, you know, faction Penn or faction Hasler um, claiming, a, claiming a victim. Um, and Penn's the owner, so I think he, in theory, I feel like he should be above the factions. It's more the factions vying for his approval and attention. Um, but this is the new seat, but this, I don't know if it's under the orders of Penn, but this is the new CEO, our 12,000th CEO in, this, in the last 18 minutes. They're basically like British prime ministers. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's been the instrumental in sacking Hasler, which I wasn't a fan of in the circumstances that it was done, but then apparently this was his decision to get rid of her. And so it suggests that we might finally have a CEO swinging his dick around, willing to actually go out and be a CEO and run the club. And I, I'm a bit, I was a little put off that, you know, the first thing that happens after we hire Seabold, don't get me started, was that we then started going off at Seabold for getting Flano involved. I mean, why the fuck are we getting Flano involved anyway? But it's just funny that we hire Seabold and immediately we're already feuding with him. I don't think that's a good sign for things going well in Manly over the next little bit of time. But at the end of the day, at least we don't have our club chairman endorsing a pedophile. So we, there's still that. Well, there's always upside. So, I mean, nice to put a bit of a positive spin on it. Is there a chance Manly here are just doing their own version of Moneyball, but instead of money, it's like a spitball or something, and they're just trying to recruit Rugby League's worst people all at once, like Anthony Seabold, Laurie Daly, Shane Flanagan. And they just thought, if we get them all in the room, if we get every you know person that's had a scandal, um, that's had success elude them, we get them all in the same room, something magical will happen. And for some reason, almost mystically, 
um, it will be a success. I can only assume that that's the strategy because if you look at the form guide here, Mario, it's not good, is it? Well, just look how much the love the club has given to Dylan Walker the last five years or six years that he was with us. Clearly, there was something going on because it wasn't ever reflected in his performance on the field. So someone decided that absolute scum were the sort of people we needed at our club. So mm. that we need it wasn't enough to get him and Kurt DeLouis on the field and have, you know, some total scum in the coaching ranks too. Potentially there's someone there that just, you know, really wanted to verse Dylan Walker at Fortnite and um, or, or was one of his Xbox buddies. I don't know. But it did seem like someone actually had his back because I'm completely with you on that. He hasn't played great footy in four or five years, despite what some commentators seem to think. Every time he comes on in the number 14, they go, oh, Dylan's going to change the game. Well, he does but just not in favour of Manly, unfortunately for you. Um, look, you were talking slightly, about... He's a slightly, Sorry, go ahead. a slightly better player than Tyrone May, but a slightly worse person. So what a combo. Mm, yeah, again, this could be part of the spitball theory of just trying to get the world's worst people all in the one club. And as a fan, I know that must be to your chagrin, but you've mentioned it, Aim, already. I don't know if this is a left-field suggestion. I, I hear she's free. Liz Truss, could she be a chance of being head coach? Well, man, I think that's certainly got to be the ne- the next step for her. If she can't if she can't come down here and make it in Australian politics as the next Liberal leader, uh, oh my God, I could get started on the whole fucking what Dutton said today. But I won't. Let's not go into politics too much in a, any sort of a serious way. How, how funny! That's right, mate. How funny is the English Prime Minister thing? I think it's hilarious, and it it just cracks me up. I just love that she walked in, dead set, destroyed the entire European economy, and then out she goes again. Job done, well done. Scomo looks on and says, "Damn, she good." Forty-four days, I believe it was that she lasted, which is longer than I remember. I mean, I I, I seem to remember her killing the Queen. Uh, saying a couple of ridiculous things, sacking everyone, and as you said, setting the place on fire. I actually thought that would take less time than 44 days. I didn't think it had been that long yet. The woman works fast. You've got to give her respect. I mean, the the whole Tory side of politics have been doing their best to absolutely fucking destroy everything, and here they come out and do it. I'm sure people still vote for them because that's what they believe. Anywho. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They don't. People don't come to the voluntary tackle for politics, Mario. So we're going to veer away from that. And uh, let's go instead to the culture wars. The game of guess who. Now, that's got to be a difficult game to play now in a world where gender doesn't exist. I'd still say, do they look like? There's still appearance. So I think in terms of a guess who, you can you can say, do they look likely to have a vagina? Do they look likely to have a penis? And then you're still being gender appropriate. I think I'm probably wrong. Well, I would salute your idea, Mario, if the cards weren't just the faces of people. You'd need full-length naked shots of every character in Guess Who to make that judgment, wouldn't you? As you said, looks like. What does that mean? Say you've got Eric there and, well, he has a slight bulge in his pants. You go, well, I think it's male, unless, of course, he just has a really bulging clitoris at the moment. I mean, can we, can I, if, if this game of Guess Who is just like, Angelina and Jessica Alba and Scarlett Johansson, etc. then I'm down for playing this particular version of Guess Who all day, every day. Do you think we should go into business together, Mario, and just make naked Guess Who? 
I think so, because we don't need to actually get permission from the star. All you're doing is using a face, their face that looks like them, just change it slightly, and then just assuming what the downstairs department looks like. Yeah, we can let our imaginations run wild. I, in fact, I've got a lot of sketches that I can show you uh, of, of Jessica Alba's junk. So, um, yeah, I think we could probably say, we could probably put something together that's quite true to life. Um, so we get something to say. I think your stalker wall should probably stay secret for now. Well, I'm I'm prepared for Milton and Bradley to sponsor my stalker wall anytime they want to roll up the truck full of cash. Um, look, I'll say, look, this is what I think Scarlett Johansson's tits look like. Um, how much? Give me a million. And uh, we'll go out and put that game in the hands of young children because I think that's where future will be won, by putting naked women and men in the hands of young children when it comes to guess who. But I, I, I think it would be more confusing now because I don't know if you know this, but you can you don't you can be non-binary, for example, so you don't have to be male or female. Um, or mid-game, potentially Eric could become Erica and become trans, which I think would be a funny um, like a, a not a funny ha-ha, but I think that would be an interesting element to the game if the characters changed as you were playing. How about an online animated guess who? And so it's, you know, the computer just can make those sort of changes. And so here's what we think they look like as a person with a vagina. Excellence. You, you know, in a way, you'd almost have to be more medically prescriptive with your questions, wouldn't you? You'd have to say, do you have an XY chromosome um, to really understand and put down as many tiles as you could with one question. And again, I just don't know how a game like that pitching at kids is going to have that much information involved. I mean, would you be able to tell if Maria, for example, was an XX chromosome? I mean, oh, you probably wouldn't. You just have to assume. What if we pitch it at liberal voters and we do it, we market it as an as an ironic game so they can do it just so they can be outraged by all this, oh, left-wing trans imaginary crap. I, I think that could work because people, they love being ironic and, you know, mocking the lefties so that makes sense okay i like this tonight why do we keep going (laughs) (laughs) i know i I tried to venture into the world of of you know adolescent gaming and yet here we are again right at the forefront of politics do the the far right enjoy being ironic i find that they irony's kind of lost on their brains i've found they tend to get i think if you gave them hey here's a really woke version of guess who where there are no genders, and four of the characters identify as a toilet mat. I think that would actually make them really fucking angry. I don't think they'd go, <laughs> good one, Mario, let's play a game over a snifter of port. I don't think they're doing that. I think they're getting fucking, I think they're going apeshit. Yeah, but, you know, it's like rage clicks on, on Twitter. You know, the Telegraph make up absolute crap that they know is crap because people will rage click it. You know, they'll list and May as the number one player in the game just so they can get people outraged and say, how could you put him ahead of Brian Toto knowing, you know, outrage gets clicks. So I think that's what this is about. We don't have need people to play the game of Guess Who. We just need people to, to rage click the game of Guess Who. And I reckon, Mario, that's a great place to leave a TVT episode. Um, this has been fun. We had absolutely no agenda. I've, I've polished off a third of a bottle of wine as I sit in my car. I hope you were Doing well, sir. You were telling me your drink of choice tonight was a double tea and Maria with a little bit of varnish. Is that right? Uh, I, th- I think I think it was Metho that you tried to suggest. That's I right. add to this drink. 
<laughs> That's right. Never mix varnish with metho would be my advice for all the listeners out there. Look, I'll finish with a quick anecdote here uh, because it just jogged my memory, but I, I think I was probably about 25 when this happened. About 40 years anyway, ago. Anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back in sepia time. And uh, anyway, I turned up to this Halloween party of an ex-girlfriend uh, and it and it didn't end great. I, I, I'll take the uh, lion's share of the blame here. I just stopped calling this girl because I just wasn't super into her. Um, and obviously, I should have been a man and actually done the proper breakup thing. Anyway, so it was a little bit awkward, a little bit awkward for a, month, a few months. And then, you know, we sort of buried the hatchet and we seemed to be friends again. Anyway, so then she invites me and a couple of my mates to a Halloween party at her house. And uh, I forget who I turned. I turned up as something. I think I turned up as a vagrant, uh, which is convenient because that's how I look all the time. So I didn't have to dress up. But yeah, turned up at her house, and and she had a, someone there who was dressed as the absinthe fairy. And uh, if anyone's familiar with absinthe, it's sort of basically the the most toxic alcohol you can consume. I think it's seventy percent proof. Anyway, I'm downing these things, and so are my mates and everyone's getting pretty blind. This at this fairy she seemed to have three or four bottles of the stuff and i had no idea that i I mean this would clearly be the most drunk i've ever been in my life because it's essentially like drinking metho mario so i'm having a great time not that i remember it but i'm apparently having a great time but the problem was uh i'm at the house of this girl that i you know you could argue that i didn't break up well with and sort of mistreated um and her older brother was also there and obviously a very protective older brother who was built like a brick shit house and was a karate expert. And so I, uh, I had to learn about all this the next day, obviously, because I don't remember any of it. But um, apparently this guy was trying to kill me as I was drunk on absence. And there were people dragging him away going, I'm going to crush that guy's head. And, uh, and this is the, the, the beauty of alcohol. Don't remember a thing. So that could have been a traumatic incident for me, but it wasn't because I don't remember the attempted murder. That sounds very fun and yeah, only retrospectively scary. I feel like I should. <laughs> I feel like I should share my my first drunk experience. But how about we leave that for a future episode? Yeah, always leave the audience wanting, Mario. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Mario, for turning up, and thank you, Xander for not turning up and incessantly talking about rugby union. We hope you're well. We will talk about rugby league, we promise, in more detail next episode. But this was just a tough night. We just felt like chatting. So if you hung around, thank you very much. And, um, yeah, we'll see you next time.